Hello and welcome back to It's Not Just Black and White, where the topics we discuss will be controversial. As always, my name is Corey Bearclaw and I'm here with Jordan Brown and Ali Lake. Today we'll be talking about addiction, choice or no choice. Ali, do you believe addiction is caused by choice or an underlying disorder caused them to become addicted? You know, that's a, that's a great question because in a lot of ways, I believe that it's it's more of like a yin and yang situation or a balanced situation when it comes to states of mind, right? If you are, um, you know, leveled in your mind, that can either be sustained for a prolonged amount of time. But what I like to think is like, or what I've learned is that severe trauma, and especially at a younger age, right? Uh, let's yeah. say from war would be uh -huh. the example of that. And this is, uh, you could say child soldiers in Africa to the Vietnam War to all the way back to Verdun and the Somme, right? Yeah. When these soldiers come out, they're extremely traumatized and they may not even out of necessity have to develop an addiction to a substance that actually calms them down from these like severe disorders. But you can't say that the soldier before he went to war was like genetically predisposed to you know yeah so are you saying you believe that it, it is a choice or you think that it's an underlying disorder i believe if the substance or your addiction has control over your life then in a lot of ways you don't have a choice because your mind is not strong enough to overcome that situation okay yeah how about you jordan so honestly i think addiction is a personal choice and it might not be their fault but it's something mm -hmm. that they fall into. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I, I believe there's underlying conditions that might make someone more prone to addiction uh -huh. uh, than, you know, you know, say the next guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, uh, actually in a, in a book uh, by Gene Heyman's Addiction, A Disorder of Choice, mm -hmm. uh, he had a developing argument where he points out that the best survey data available indicates that most drug addicts quit their addiction but in fact, it's inconsistent with chronic disease models because wow. you can't just go in and uh, cancel your disease like bipolar yeah. disorder or, yeah. or schizophrenia or things like that. Yeah. So yeah. it is in some ways definitely a choice. And I believe mainly that it is a choice because you're choosing to create behaviors that will lead you down a certain path to where you lose your ability to choose anything because you're, you need to feed uh, your addiction and keep on going with the process so that your body doesn't lack, you know, the dopamine and things like that. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, I guess to like clarify, I think everybody has an addiction problem. It's just some people have unhealthy addiction yeah, problems. Yeah, it depends right? what they're uh -huh. addicted yeah, to. Yeah, it depends. So, I mean, if you look at weed, for instance, right, this is a big polarized issue at this point big companies are getting involved there's some people who say it's addictive it's a gateway drug um, me personally I do think it does have some addictive uh, traits but um, I don't believe that it is a gateway drug yeah but you see I think this is where uh, what we were speaking about before this is where the there's an additive effect of uh, addictive personality right mm -hmm. and that all depends on what a not only a person's biochemistry but also how far and to which extent their mind has developed also right and I think this is kind of where uh, 
the genetics plays a huge role, and I think uh, alcoholism was something we wanted to focus on. Is that correct? Yeah, when you think about alcohol and you know the ability, people develop disorders and are more prone to being addicted to alcohol if their parents have alcoholic issues. And you look back and you see that uh, people, I mean, parents who have been drinking, kids have been around the parents who have been mm -hmm. drinking, mm -hmm. uh, like they they feel that the best way to cope when they going to adolescence into teens they're like hey my parents start drinking so I'm gonna start drinking as well and that kind of causes you know more and more addictions later on because all they know is one solution they don't know other, any other solution to it yeah okay sure. so can I ask you so is that a genetic thing or is that an environmental thing see that's a great question that he asked because I have a story here I mean it's like a long it seems like a myth now it's a long told story I guess but in the case of alcoholism, right, I think that it goes both ways. I mean, you're also correct, Koi Bear Club, but if we look at, you know, the uh, uh, there's a story about these twins. Their father was an alcoholic, right, beat them. They had a terrible, like, traumatic experience childhood, but they both grew up in the same environment with the same experiences, right? Mm -hmm. But the end result was one of the twins ended up being an alcoholic, ultimately ended up being a failure. The other didn't become an alcoholic, ended up being successful, raised a healthy family, so on and so forth, yeah. right? So it goes both ways, wouldn't you agree? I, I completely agree. And so to kind of answer your question, Jordan, whether it's genetic or environmental, it can actually depend if the parents have been were addicted to alcohol before they had kids, then those kids then become more prone to the addictive trait because of you know their parents' behavior before that. So it can be genetic, it can be environmental. Okay, so would you say, uh, like, this is if the mother is, like, drinking when she's pregnant? Or is it, or, or actually, that leads me to a better question. Does the genetic come from the mother because she's the one who carries the child? Or is it also from the father if the father might uh, have carried that, that addictive trait or whatever? Yeah. yeah, well, when you're talking about genes, you know, you have half the genes from one parent, you have half the genes from the other. It's always and I'm not going to, and I'm definitely going to say that. Uh, if the mom's drinking, the mother's drinking while uh, she's pregnant, that will mm -hmm. definitely increase the chances of the addictive personality trait or being prone to addiction yeah. is higher for yeah. uh, the child. Yeah. Um, but it can come from just the father or the mother at any given point. I see. Um, and, you know, kind of we're talking about addiction and, you know, it's, especially with pregnancy, you know, a lot of people stop drinking coffee, stop drinking uh, smoking cigarettes, stop drink, uh, doing drugs while they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Do you guys believe that uh, you have a choice to quit when you're addicted or is there something blocking them from stopping? Meaning like if such things harm them, why would they continue to do such activities if it's bringing negative effects? I mean, you know, there's, it's not necessarily always negative effects because you see in our modern society now, I would say, um, specifically women who are pregnant, right? It's, it's, totally in some circles completely acceptable for them to have a glass of wine every now and then and or a you know take a couple puffs off a joint you know and that's uh -huh. accepted in our society accepted as in our generation of who we are and i personally don't see any problem with that right the only concern with the pregnancy is is that when there's trauma or damage being caused to the fetus right because then that's kind of irresponsible to you know yeah. to like a child who's not even yet been born to introduce him to such substances would obviously lead to some sort of, you know, dysfunctional yeah. but, thing. But I'm saying that, like, if you're addicted, if you're addicted to meth, do you think that there's a certain there's a certain threshold that you meet that there, you can no longer just 
uh, quit your addiction by yourself and you need to go seek help and like your, your, your choice of stopping is completely thrown out? Yeah. Or do you think that you will always have the choice to stop no matter if from the day, the first day that you tried to the last day that you I, ever had? I think there's a, sorry to cut you off, JB. No, I go think, for it. I think there's a point of no return, um, you know, when people lose their nature giving into a substance, right? So it's hard to become a normal person once you've been so detached from reality. What were you going to say? Just I mean, I was going to say that I think uh, it's always that person's choice, right? Because mm -hmm. they have to choose to go get help. And then when they go get help, that doesn't mean that whoever is giving them help is going to do some magic That's spell. Right. Yeah. And they're going to... That's yeah. right. That's up to them, right? Yeah. They have to... Yeah grind through that yeah make yeah. that happen the help is just a support system yeah and right. then when they leave the, that help exactly. or support Who system they have to choose exactly. not to go back to the drugs yeah. so yeah, yeah exactly. i would have to agree with you jordan i mean relapse is also part of the process right like everybody true. relapses yeah and when you know to kind of touch back to your point about you know coffee and the mother's quitting and everything like that uh ali like if these addictions aren't necessarily harming them for example coffee exercising diet can it really be called an addiction or is it just an obsession? Well, I would say that firstly, I would say that coffee has a more messed up effect or drinking regularly coffee to pregnancy versus having one glass a month of yeah. wine, right? Yeah. I but think does it like, like throw out the whole pregnancy thing? That just like, do you think that people, can, if, if it doesn't harm them, like then, but they need to do something like drink coffee or exercise or need to follow a certain diet. Well, can it become an addiction because they, if they don't follow it, maybe they, like they start panicking, they have anxiety, withdrawals, yeah. or whatever. See, at that point of no return, there's always a point where it's like you, you either become a functioning person who's an addict, or that point of no return is like you literally don't know who you are. Like you, for instance, a heroin addict. If you see them on heroin, you wouldn't recognize that person, right? So, I, I don't wholly agree that it's simply. Um, genetic but if i were to make a big claim it's that all addiction stems from a point of internal insecurities right addiction is indeed a disease more so a mental health disorder right itself now we're not placing any judgment obviously on individuals with addictions because at the end of the day they are a part of our society and albeit an outcast part but in a lot of ways it's it's the rest of society's responsibility um, to at least those that like can afford to do something about it to help their fellow members of society, right? But this is like a larger, you know, a play of a utopia that's unrealistic uh -huh. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I kind of want to, you know, I guess like segue off of this because we're making a, a lot of uh, you know, suggestions or our opinions, mm -hmm. right? But what do we really know about addiction, right? Like we're saying uh -huh. these things, we you know we might have done our homework, but we haven't been faced with anything like this, right? All right, well then, yeah, then we'll uh, we can easily segue, um, easily talk about the most controversial topic of simulating addiction with it, and that's marijuana. Uh, you know, like do you, either of you guys really believe that it is addictive, and what and what causes you to that conclusion then? And like, if you have any uh, personal information, then let me know. I mean, as I said earlier, I do think weed has its addictive properties, 
right? Mm -hmm. But also, like I said earlier, everybody has an addiction to something, whether it be weed, exercising, um, adrenaline, any of that, right? Uh, do I think weed is a gateway drug? Absolutely not. So you, so you're, you're saying marijuana may, it definitely it's more of a choice to continue the process. And there, there's no addictive behaviors that like can stem from it. Cause you see those people who are potheads who like, they can't go to sleep when they smoke. But I they think what he's yeah. saying is they're all, they have like an addictive personality. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, like what I'm saying is that's what they chose to be addicted to almost. Right. Or, but it's, it's or not, that's not even what I'm saying. I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is it's there. So that's what they like to do on uh -huh. their spare time. Uh, that's, that's, that's their thing right wow. but i say it's their choice if they want to have marijuana addiction escalate or turn into an addiction to other substances mm -hmm. okay so you are you? saying it's a gateway gateway drug no i'm saying it's a choice okay. i mean like you can stop. Have I at smoked marijuana, weed right? before? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, the, so did I end saying... up doing other drugs because I smoked weed? Absolutely not. Yeah. But so you're saying, yeah, to, to smoke weed, to not smoke weed, it's not addictive. You, you know, you don't kind of develop any dis, dis, yeah. anything from it. No, I I think weed is addictive. I'm just saying it doesn't lead, lead to, to other, other drugs. Yeah, okay. but let's That's let's also there. make the distinction, right? You could be addicted to weed or it's just so ingrained in your daily habits that you don't even notice, right? So it could be a habitual thing. Yeah. But I think what's also important is early age consumption, right? Corey Berkoff pulled out some numbers that were really shocking in the sense that uh, I think something with the eighth graders, I believe. So eighth graders and then one in six uh, people in high school 12th grade they smoke consistently on a daily basis which is insane i don't think that was the case a long time yeah, ago. yeah. it uh the exact numbers were 3.1 million adolescents aged 12 to 17 yeah. use marijuana in the past year 11.8 million young adults aged 18 to 25 use marijuana in the past year yeah you see i think that on at an early age to an undeveloped brain i think it definitely has some effects right that can lead to developed mental disorders so i'll give the example i used to know someone um a long time ago and he, this individual had schizophrenia right when he smoked weed for the first time he literally said he saw a devil the devil having sex with a goat okay uh -huh. and i would say there was definitely in his case early trauma caused that you know it, it, like i don't want to say exactly what happened to him but caused that uh, schizophrenia in his mind and by smoking a one thing that's harmless to somebody else really gives uh -huh. him vivid, horrific hallucinations, right? Uh, okay. But at the same time, and I have another friend, right, who consistently smokes. He's um, in meetings. He has a corporate job, very high-functioning individual, right? And he works for a $10 billion company. He smokes weed and he closes million-dollar deals, uh -huh. right? So yeah. it affects him yeah. not the same. Yeah. So but I think individual body chemistry has a lot to do. 100%. But these numbers are alarming right as to how many young adults kids even are smoking marijuana yeah right but the question that comes to me is why why are they smoking marijuana how are all these kids getting marijuana i because I they're think insecure it's, they need this something That's i don't even I'm think it's that i think it's more of like a popular thing to do these days right? yeah 
I mean, it's so mainstream. It's so out there. It's yeah, almost, like, it's almost cool like it's cigarettes of the 1960s exactly. or 1930s. Yeah, but like all around the world, right? It's it's still you can still be cool, quote unquote, and not smoke, right? Even here, yeah, like yeah, yeah. just you know, you can yeah, be yeah. an athlete. But and you know, be, like at one point in time, that like it was cool to smoke cigarettes, and, and then it was and then it was cool to drink alcohol. Mm. Now it's cool to smoke weed. Yeah, yeah, it's like pop okay, culture, right? I mean, yeah. all these you know these these kids are into rappers, yeah. pop stars or whatever. Whatever. These Hollywood oh, icons are ambassadors of these marijuana brands now. Yeah, yeah. they're invested in these companies. It's literally, yeah. an ambassador. and they're all yes. young kids that, that are they're doing it. Up and so, yeah, and I think this is a direct correlation yeah. to these numbers. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, like the, the interesting facts, like according to AmericanAddictionCenter.org, is that during adolescence, the brain is particularly sensitive to drug exposure. And marijuana use impacts how connections are formed within the brain. Other effects on the developing brain include interference in neurotransmitters and abnormal brain shape and structure volume. So, on top of you know them smoking when they're young, they're actually damaging the development of their brain. Yeah. And it can cause so many problems with everybody. And the crazy thing is, is that society is accepting this as the new norm that yeah. we should allow our kids to do this. Yeah. And they're making it more accessible with, you know, you have uh, vape pens um, or oh, yeah. uh, what are they? What are they called? Uh, E-cigarettes? E-cigarettes. You know, yeah. the vape pens for weed. Jewel, the, uh, the, uh, they're just vape I, pens. I don't know. They're all the same. I don't yeah. use, it's I don't all, know. Dab pens. Dab pens. There we Dad go. Pens. There's the sure, name yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same know. as a vape pen. So I've yeah. never, never heard of it. And you know, like that kind of that's kind of perfect segue into the last and final question of weed and addiction. Mm -hmm. Would you guys allow your kids to smoke pot when they've reached, you know, a specific age? You you decide it's justified, given e uh, either your own personal experience with it or experiences you've seen with others. That is a very tough question to answer to really? be honest with you and I think I have to say no right I, I, that's just a responsible you know answer and I mean I've seen I grew up with kids uh, who smoked with their parents right and I mean it almost seemed like an enviable yeah. uh, relationship yeah, yeah, because sure. yeah. you're hanging yeah. out with your kid on a different level you know what I mean yeah. you're just like kicking it serious whatever. bond yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, you know, no, I couldn't. Smoking with family is a different feeling. So, so are you yeah. going to say that you finally understand where your parents were coming from when they didn't want you to smoke, but you thought you <laughs> you knew everything? Yeah, yeah, definitely like 100%. What about you, Ali? Um, I, I commend you for asking a brilliant question. Um, see, in my case, there's some things that need to be established, right? I Sure, I don't want my kids to do bad things, but knowing my kids, I don't have kids yet, but knowing my kids... So knowing me tells me a lot about my kids and I'm almost certain that they'll have they'll have that certain level of curiosity that's going to get them into trouble sometimes in life. I mean, I can't blame them because they got it from me, you know. Um and I'm almost certain that they're going to want to try new things and I, I and I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing. I would just say that I'm there with them so they're safe and uh -huh. I, I'll let them experience not obviously at an appropriate age but I'll let them experience anything that they want to experience and then 
you know, allowed them to see and decide what's good for them and what's not. Uh -huh. But I know for a fact that if I'm strict with them and I restrict them on experiences and doing things, they're gonna go ahead and do that anyway. It yeah, doesn't yeah, go away, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I have to agree with you. I think I wouldn't approve, but I don't want to have that adversarial relationship with my kids to the point where they feel like they have to hide something yeah. from yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And there's also like, obviously there's gonna be a level of discipline also because I think that's one of the things that we all learned which kept us on the right track for yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. And if we didn't get that discipline or at least build that discipline, then yeah. you know, it, we would be, I guess, rude yeah. people. A buddy I grew up with actually um, told me that when he was around 14 or 15 years old, his dad came up to him, said, hey, I know that you're going to high school, you're gonna be tempted to do drugs or you're gonna attempt to smoke pot, all I ask is that if you're going to do it, do it with me first. So you get comfortable and know this, know what it's like, and you're safe, and then you can go on and do it. Yeah, that, and that's that the actually, thing. that actually scared him yeah. from wanting to do it, because huh. he's like, okay, well, I don't wanna break my dad's heart, but I yeah. do, and I, but I do wanna try this, but I, I, I don't feel comfortable doing it with dad, so he kinda of yeah. stayed away from yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, so but it's it kind seems... Of, it's a cool, like, uh, reverse and psychology. I would teach yeah. them that lesson, you know, that hey, these things have their place. If you're going to indulge in these things, you keep them in that place. Don't ever let these substances control you because it can be very easy, yeah. right? Yeah. And especially with this story, that's an incredibly healthy way to go about it, right? Like, yeah. I don't want to restrict them of anything, but you know, I, you know, I yeah. just want them to be good. Yeah, I, I mean, the first thing that comes to my head, honestly, is like, okay, it's one thing to like smoke a joint with your dad. It's a different thing to like do a line. You know, yeah, 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 come right. on. Yeah. I, mean, like, I mean, I'm Muslim, right? The first time I ever shared a beer with my dad was I was like 22 years old. Corey Bearclaw was actually yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So that was also weird for me because I didn't even know that that was a thing. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it happens. Yeah, but what about you, Corey? Like, would you? Uh, dude, to be completely honest, uh, through all the studies I've seen, I've read, like, you know, I even have a study here that found teens who regularly use marijuana lose on average 5.8 IQ points. Mm. I don't think I would want my kid to smoke weed. I, you know, I've, I've done it in young. my past. I don't, I, I, I wouldn't want it. I would tell them that I wouldn't want it, but I would be accepting to the fact that if they've done it, then like I might be mad, but you know, I, I gotta accept the fact that they've done it. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be done, everywhere, yeah. it's already done. I'm not gonna, it's I'm not gonna ground them for when months and over. Yeah, they're gonna yeah. experience things. Yeah. Like they're gonna do what we did when we were kids. They're gonna try There's something gonna new. There's gonna be weed coffee shops in fine. their lifetime, so it'll yeah. be the yeah. least of our yeah. concerns. Yeah, by the time that we have our kids at that age, we're gonna be just like, yeah. Yeah. it's gonna be so like yeah. socially <laughs> accepted. Yeah. yeah, and then at that point, we'll need to worry about new age substances that could really, yeah, like yeah. we don't even know what those things look like yeah. yet. Exactly. Like neurological drugs. Yeah, actually kind of talking about that, you know, the new age drugs of right now. You know, kind switching of. topics to what can be considered harder drugs and in essence, vastly more addictive. You know, examples, meth, heroin, cocaine. Uh, why do you guys believe these drugs when compared to cigarettes, alcohol, caffeine, and pills have been shunned by society while the others have been more accepting? Um, you see, I think there's a distinction to be made. I don't think that these drugs are like, are all shunned. And to ask the question why some of them are shunned, I think it's it's more of a societal question, right? What does 
what what are the needs of that society or what is built into the individuals in that society that they need to achieve and then that substance of their choice allows them to in their minds at least achieve that goal now i think that for instance uh cocaine in that form heroin these things are shunned because of the extent of debilitation that one person goes through mm -hmm. when doing it and people yeah. having seen that and experienced somebody and all these addictions of people going mad i think that eventually drove those in the corner yeah but remember that yes cocaine is and methamphetamine is is the shunned upon version but if you look at amphetamine based uh, pharmaceutical drugs what they're you can see it on your bottle they're made out of amphetamine salt now amphetamine salt is is yeah, that's another word for cocaine if I've ever heard it, yeah. okay? So, yeah, yeah it's, it sounds just like meth, right? Yeah. So I don't know what the salt is because it's not literally yeah. salt, okay? So That's the same powder you sniff. That is that <laughs> distinction, you know? And just to add on that, right, since we're in the realm of society, we, I just wanted to plug in, you know, prostitution, right? There's some countries where this is legal and technically morally and socially accepted and some countries where it's not. Now, if we're looking at countries where it's legal, it becomes safer for both parties, the party that's purchasing the service and also the party that's serving up the service. There's regulatory processes, regulations, uh -huh. benefits, processes, healthcare, things that really create a an era of safety and acceptance so that people are not doing this uh, in some sort of illegal way. Now, if it's illegal in that society, it turns out being a black market for such services and incredibly unsafe for both parties, right? Even at the lowest levels, all the way at the highest levels, it's not that these things won't happen if you make them illegal. They're just gonna still happen yeah. in a dark alley somewhere nobody knows about it. Somebody yeah, yeah. could get stabbed, robbed, killed, it doesn't even matter. And nobody would care because society's gonna say, yeah, of course he deserved it, he was doing this bad thing. Yeah. And. You know, even at the lowest, highest levels, for instance, models, we learned this, they'll go to a shoot, quote unquote, and then end up being in a casting couch situation, right? I mean, Jordan Brown and I tried to solve this problem a while back, and we actually have a secondhand experience, but a live experience on, on like how at the lowest level things could even get bad, right? Jordan Brown, you want to share what we learned in that process? Yeah, you know, like you all you said, our experience, it was a secondhand experience. But nevertheless, it was a real experience. And this is a young woman who is a model now, a successful model now mm -hmm. at that. Yeah. She, yeah. Uh, in her early days, yeah. before she had an agency trying to get started, we learned about the whole industry. But how it works is in the beginning, you you kind of are just trying to get content. You're trying to get your name out there. You're looking for gigs or whatever. She goes to, you know, she think she finds someone who's credible mm -hmm. goes to a gig yeah gets in the place and it is a it's like a weird what she it's a weird yeah it's not like what a, she expected yeah. uncomfortable in that yeah. situation yeah yeah and, and that shouldn't exist right yeah to so sorry to cut you off but fine. you know kind of tying that back so are you saying that by legalizing it and it 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 creates the process of cleaning up those that you know otherwise harmful drugs through policy, and then through policy politics, FDA, both, exactly. you know, so on and so yeah. forth. It makes the drug ne not necessarily as harmful, and so it's accepted because it doesn't destroy you as bad as you know coke exactly. and meth does. Exactly. Right now. So, so I'll reinstate my my point of this basically. So, in our society, right? Let's just take America, and we live in California, so we live in nice America. Uh -huh. um, 
designated areas for smoking, designated buildings for coffee, designated buildings for alcohol, designated drive-through buildings for pharmaceuticals. Uh -huh. My point is this, dude. When there isn't a designated section for the things frowned upon by society, it doesn't mean that those things will no longer exist in society, yeah. right? They're they still don't just gonna go happen. away. They'll happen sneakier and under much more dangerous circumstance, and that is literally costing human life. And I don't know what kind of world we live in where we see the cost of human life as as so freaking expendable. I refuse to accept that. Right? Yeah, yeah. And we can be a better society by doing shit that's good for everybody. Yeah, and we've worked so hard to like develop these things to value you know, human life, right? We have all these laws and things to protect. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And before these laws were in place, again, it was like lawlessness. Yeah. Human life didn't matter. If someone yeah. great did point. something that felt like to wrong you, you could just like cut them down in the street. So, you know, I, I'm just trying to, you know, grasp your guys' point. Mm -hmm. Are you guys saying or suggesting that it's possible that if we were to legalize all these drugs, you know, like Oregon's doing right now, that we might see a redu reduction either in addiction or the harmfulness of these drugs and so have more access to it? Or what, like, what, think, like where, where exactly are you trying to go, I go with this I point? think people will still be addicted, I think, to shit, okay? People want stuff, they like... Yeah. They like the feelings of dopamine when they get that stuff. Yeah. My point is only specifically on the topic of prostitution because that connects to sex addiction and so on and so forth, right? But legal prostitution in the form of whether it's addiction or not, I'm just talking about as a general topic, legal prostitution is actually a healthy thing for society and is a marker of a healthy society, not the opposite. Okay. It doesn't yeah. say that they're degenerate. It says that they care about technically the lowest strata of people who have to co conduct that service to yeah. make feed their children you know yeah, I mean? yeah but no so to answer your question no i don't think that they should make every drug you know legal or uh -huh. whatever. i don't think that either, but yeah. i think the solution can be more constructive than sending people to jail or uh, shunning them yeah or making it such a taboo that it needs to be done in the dark corners of society uh -huh. barring them from society yes. Yeah, yeah yes okay and so when you think about alcohol and the damage it's done to families as well what why do you guys think that alcohol and the addictiveness that it, that can come from it the literal dependency on it that people need that they after drinking for years on end they literally need to drink alcohol yeah. to continue to survive or they will die either seizures or a heart attack. Yeah. Do you think that we could we should continue to have alcohol with the damaging factors, whether it be external, internal? You know, alcohol, like, it, it's torn families apart while being legalized and it's shown the same effects that on, on families as any other drug addiction. Uh, you know, like one in five children grow up in a home where a parent abuses drugs or alcohol. Wow. So what, like why alcohol? Why, why do you guys think that alcohol should be legalized? I mean, I'll give you the example. I, I know for a fact that alcohol is also uh, one of these drugs that if you quit cold turkey, your heart literally explodes, right? With heroin, you don't necessarily die. If you go cold turkey, you're sick as heck afterwards. Mm -hmm. But alcohol, you stop it, your heart ruptures. It can't handle yeah. it from a severe alcohol. Like, I'll give you my example. When I was in Switzerland, I, I drank in four and a half, four months. 
I drank more than I've drank in my entire life, right? Grew up as a Muslim, alcohol wasn't a big deal for me. But every time I drank, whether it was a little bit, whether I got too drunk or a little bit drunk, there was like this guilt conscious, uh, like on uh, my head always, right? Yeah. Which is why I don't really drink today. But in Switzerland, the, those four months, I was drinking like someone who's trying to build a alcohol addiction. Uh -huh. And now, like, I guess it didn't work out because I really tried to get addicted to alcohol, but it does, I hate it now. I can't stand it. I can't. Yeah. I don't like the smell, you know. Yeah, so you kind of had like a reverse effect of you yeah. drank so much alcohol that you got sick of it and never wanted to go back yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I also think that in my opinion, so alcohol is a comfort drug, right? It's a social drug, you know. It's, I th believe you were in Switzerland, and I mean, I wasn't there with you, but we sure talked you a know lot. This yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, so you're in the like European setting, everybody else is drinking, it's a, it's a socially yeah. fun thing to do. When yeah. I, you know, and I enjoy like a nice glass of wine, yep. maybe a little cup of whiskey here and there, but I like it, especially when I'm having a good time with you guys. If we're celebrating yeah. or yeah. there's an occasion. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's people who use alcohol as a release or as an escape Great point. is where Great it gets yeah. unhealthy. Great yeah. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's what I mean as to addiction is that personal choice. It's because people use it to get away yeah. from whatever it is yeah. they're running away from. Yeah, because then you even have the common phrase of everything good as long as it's not in excess. Yes. You know? Facts. So if you're choosing yeah. to excess it or use it in excess, that's when it becomes damaging. Yeah, yeah. And so on this point, we were just talking about. Uh, you know, society came into play again. Another addiction that I've seen, I think it's not only a socially accepted uh, addiction, but it's like, it's how society is. It's a part of it and it's a form of addiction. Yeah. So we talked about intrinsic aspects of addiction and then we highlighted an individual's need to be a part of society or something bigger than themselves or a need to fit in, right? So my argument is that society not only condones these addictions, but it's actually set up to induce this, you know, systematic thing, this system. Yeah. So the example I have is that we know that people will buy clothes, cars, houses that they can't afford and then put it up on social media or whatever. And they they do it so their communities see them in a certain light, right? And I would argue that this too is an unhealthy form of addiction and it's a great example of how although addiction stems from an internal source your need to fit in it can be heavily influenced and induced by an external source in this case it would be society yeah yeah and you know in in some terms what you're saying uh, i completely agree with it it can come from internal external and all those different things um but sometimes when i think about external uh, kind of events that are causing addictions uh, when what about when you're looking at prescription drugs you know like Xanax or Adderall why are these becoming acceptable forms of consumption well the equivalent illicit drugs like heroin and meth are shunned when we, we just look at the comparison of Adderall and meth they're literally the similarities uh, there are a bunch of similarities but a lot of differences for example you know Adderall works as a stimulant increases attention, focus, alertness, and everything like that. Um, but it's meant for kids with ADHD. Yeah. And the only differences between the active ingredient in Adderall and the active ingredient in meth mm -hmm. is literally just a single methyl structure. Yeah. 
But that difference, you know, according to actually the National Institute of Drug Abuse, yeah. makes methamphetamine much more powerful than the regular amphetamine that you'd see in Adderall. Um, and also along with that actual added methyl structure onto it, it actually has a lot more harmful side effects. You know, I just thought of something that may be an answer for why these things are shunned and why not, right? If you notice, not necessarily the process of making cocaine or like that completed substance, you can't have a patent on it. Yeah, that's exactly where that I was thinking. That is so crazy. One right? is like, one is a profitized machine uh -huh. that is in the books yeah. as we are okay to yeah. give you things yeah. like this, addict you on things, versus the small guy who's you know making meth in his RV somewhere. And I have a story on that later, but to address what Corey Burklaw is asking, right? I put down this statement. I, I think it's funny because there's a lot of truth in it because these two things have happened and currently exist as a thing. So my claim is that the doctor in Broward County that microdoses regulated, let's say Adderall or MDMA to uh -huh. stay sharp and save more lives, and the engineer in Silicon Valley that microdoses LSD or psilocybin mushrooms to regulate their mood and efficiency, I think overall and ultimately it's a good thing for society. And you know, like when we're actually talking about, you know, it's not a profit machine, like there's not, you don't have big pharma profiting from it. Here's another uh, one, another addiction that you could say that's not necessarily has any health effects on physical well-being, but there is people profiting from it. Um, and it actually has damaging effects on one's mental well-being. The one and only social media. Woo! You know, this, like, you know, I have kind of a three-pronged question for you guys. First off, do you guys believe that social media is addicting and is now ru ruining the new generation? Yeah. Also, do you think that the people are making the conscious choice to be addicted or does it stem from a neurological decision-making pattern that was triggered by these algorithms written by these massive social media companies? So let's go step by step. Can you break down your first prong, please? Yes, to reiterate that first question. Do you guys believe that social media is addicting and is now ruining the new generation? Yes, I do. All right, and what and what makes you think that? Well, I'm gonna attempt to answer all three prongs of your question. All right, yeah. I love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Give a round of applause. He's a champion. So yes, I think that that social media is addictive and I do think it is ruining the generation. Well, I shouldn't say that it's ruining this this new like generation because I really don't know maybe I'm just not into the flow of things yeah. as uh -huh. everybody else it's its own way of like communication yeah. and expression mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that I just haven't gotten that into but I gotta say it does got me a little bit addicted right I mean I, I catch myself at times headed straight to Instagram but I do think that these algorithms are designed to make us addicted yeah they're playing right into the human nature uh -huh. feeding into yeah. you know that yeah, yeah. back corner of the your fabric brain fabric of our lives yes yeah. yes yeah. it's perfected yeah. understanding the human yeah. and then these like social media companies are arguably the modern day version of big tobacco back in sure. the uh -huh. 50s or the yeah. 60s right yeah but they're much much more powerful 
let me say this he, to just to add on to that because that's a great point i do believe they're more powerful because what these companies have that tobacco didn't have in the beginning is data tracking right data analytics yeah. so yeah. the movie is uh netflix the social dilemma right it's about facebook and whatnot yeah now the gist of that movie is this that all the searches that you have on Facebook, YouTube, Google, whatever you said, that's all collected in a data bank, right? Uh -huh. And in terms of this AI or the computer or the person that's looking at it, that basically creates a category or a box or a profile of you. Yeah. Now, you may think that you're the most unique person in the world, but you're actually more likely, there's several hundred and thousands, millions of people who yep. you also fall in that category. Now, what these companies do is they'll place an ad for people who come from this profile, they'll place an ad of purchases that most likely these guys are gonna make. Now, when you're prompted that ad and that ad is in front of you, you're thinking, yeah, of course I would buy that. You click the ad, you buy it, and you think you made that decision all by yourself, but uh -huh. really you were prompted to. At the end of the day, that data was collected and you're basically uh -huh. just a lab rat in your own home. Yeah. You can almost say it's correlated to neuro-linguistic programming yep. in some ways as well. Yep. Because it's literally just trying to tie you into some behavior yep. that is, mm -hmm. is committing you to a decision 100. that you thought you made on your own, but yeah. you, it was made by someone else. Yeah, exactly. It, it uh, shapes your ideology. Yeah. Yep. Right? And That's the money. That's yep. where the money yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, you have to think. So another great Netflix you know, documentary, if you guys haven't seen it, it's called The Great Hack. And it shows how they they can use that social media and your preferences and what you search in order to influence more of what you think, mm. and that in turn can influence the outcome of exactly. an election. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. See, check that one out. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. And you wow. know they even say that social media is contributed to it, like the addiction of it. It's contributed to dopamine-inducing social events. Like it's. It, it's literally the likes you get, the yep. pictures you see, it's the all videos about the you likes. see, it's all personalized to you. Yep. And so, so much dopamine is just rushing through your brain at once. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like what you're getting is kind of like that same experience when you're gambling or, yeah. you know, yeah. even yeah. using recreational yep. drugs because yeah. you yep. just get all of this pleasure when yeah. you comfort. Well, actually, so that leads me to a quick thought as in, is it like ruining this new generation or even having impacts on our generation? And I believe it's acceptance. It's a way of acceptance, right? Mm -hmm. People need this acceptance and they're not getting it in real life anymore yeah. because yeah. of social media and maybe like COVID these days. And so they looked for the likes and the follows to get that. And so I agree with you. I think you're right, of course. But I also think, again, as, as, I, as we always try to do, is that there's another side to that as well, a very positive side. Yeah. And I'll tell you, there's an individual that I've, you know, I got to know, and this was from, you know, you guys know I was involved with digital marketing company, so on and so forth. And this is somebody that I reached out to in efforts to help him out with his business. It ended up being, he has phenomenal energy. We clicked, he's a friend of mine, he lives in Florida. This individual, he is older than us, of course, but I look up to him. Dude, he was in a plane crash. Uh -huh. Okay, he was the only survivor. What the? Wow. I've never met him in person. He uh -huh. was the only survivor, and the doctors told him you won't ever walk again. He's a personal trainer to the rich. He literally wow. is the most athletic yeah. person that I know. Yeah. But again, I've never met him, and he's a very good friend of mine. You know, <laughs> we share like an emotional connection, and I've never met him in person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
That it's, is the power of social it's media. It's crazy. Look there are some good things, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been able yeah. to like connect the world yeah. to knew? a point. Everybody can see what's happening everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And but you know that leads to like governments who are trying to more authoritarian ones trying to like censor it, right? But also yeah. these social media companies, as I said, they're much, much, much more powerful to the point where they even silenced. A sitting president, a yeah. now ex-president, yeah, and that is which should be shocking. freaking unconstitutional. Yeah, I, hey guys, I completely agree, but I do not want to get off topic with our topic <laughs> right, addiction today because yeah, that can yeah. be ranting and ranting. We could talk about that all day yeah. long. Yeah. Sorry, about um, but you right. know what I love? You know, you guys start bringing up topics about big pharma, uh, government, and you know, social media. That you know, they're kind of correlated in some ways, and I, and I think talking about these social media giants creating addicts to their platforms is a perfect segue into the topic of big pharma and government policies. So we see how big pharma has played a huge role in addiction in the past, being one of the leading causes of opioid addiction. Don't you think it's interesting how companies can provide you with a product that will cause you to become addicted to it? Yeah, you know, that's a great setup, Corey. I appreciate that. That actually brings us to the point of Big Pharma. And let me tell you, I got a few things to say. So let's just talk about the sheer size and political power and influence over policy, right? And I want you to keep in mind through the story that when you talk about Big Pharma, it's global players. It's always global players. And since now we are a globalized world, one thing in one edge of the world affects the other, right? So. Yeah. Um, and these companies, as Corey is saying, right, they've technically prospered and generated copious amounts of money by keeping the public sick, right? Let's not even talk about the FDA influence just yet, but if they cure you of the sickness that you have a prescribed subscription for, you won't need them anymore, would you? And yeah. that statement is kind of leading to an era of dependency on, on these big pharma companies, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, remember that always global, keep that in mind, right? So most likely if a drug is manufactured, it's manufactured in India and or China, but it's terms of low cost at the lowest possible cost. Now, most likely it's taken by, marketed to and sold to Americans as a non-generic or a prescribed uh -huh. version of a very specific drug. Now, non-generic basically means that it has a patent, right? That patent is needed to keep up with regulations in the U.S. so that they can sell and market and, you know, make that money. Yep. Uh, we know patents go up like 20 years, let's say. Now, once that patent is, is out, it becomes a generic or over-the-counter drug in very technical terms. Yeah. But it cannot be sold in the U.S. in the same manner because it can't be considered up to our standard. And this is something like a practice that's been going on as far back as pharmaceutical goes, like snake oil salesmen and whatnot. But so now I'm going to assume the voice of a guy who's in charge of this big pharma company, right? So let's say, but wait, my company still has millions of dollars of inventory. What am I going to do? Declare that a sunk cost? Absolutely freaking not. What I'm going to do is have my R&D bros slightly change the formula so we can then <laughs> rebrand, remarket, repatent and sell more drugs and make more money. Uh -huh. But wait a second. I still have that last inventory. Again, I'm not just going to let that cost go yeah i'm a businessman i need to generate revenue for my company otherwise i'm gone yeah so what i'm gonna do about that is i'm gonna dump these quote-unquote used products into third world markets in africa and south asia yeah where there are hardly any regulations hardly any rule of law and if someone is gonna sue you for you know some kind of sickness that they got well 
let's just say you're not gonna get sued, all right? Yeah. <laughs> now, it's what, gonna be a lot harder. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. Now, what that is kind of indicative of is a corrupt system, right? Last week, we talked about inequality, and this was something that came up, right? That these systems of society that were created to instill order, they end up being mechanisms that create periods of disorder and which they can then consolidate their power through that chaos, yeah. right? And we were talking about um, policing and the war on drugs. And then I, we had like a few points on that. So JB, you want to hit us? Yeah, well, I mean, I would call it the failed the war on drugs, right? That feed into this power cycle. And this power cycle, if you guys tuned in uh, to last week, you should be kind of familiar or with this you know, cycle and it's a way to keep the flow of money moving and as we mentioned the war on drugs was a way to shape ideology in fact uh, it, it created the ideology to make people scared of drugs and think that they were a negative yeah. impact yeah. on society but really it could be arguably a war on free thought and this war on free thought turned America into the most incarcerated country in the world. And more specifically, it generated the need for these for-profit prisons. Mm -hmm. Prime example, you know, there's people who are making money mm -hmm. by sending people to jail. Yeah. Uh -huh. And this leads us to that vicious power cycle of what Noam Chomsky mentioned, to where these for-profit, you know, prisons or even big pharma influenced, you know, legislators to create policy that leads to more incarceration, which then leads more money into their pockets, mm -hmm. which then repeats itself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. Yeah, exactly. So you bring up a phenomenal point because this is indicative of Chomsky's principles of concentrated wealth and power. Like if you guys recall the graph that I was describing to you guys last week, right? So let's say big pharma is on the right, on the left side, right? And big pharma is where that concentrated wealth is. Now, as it, the chart, as an arrow goes from one side, which is wealth to the other side, the cost of elections goes up, right? Mm -hmm. And that then, uh, solidifies or isolates political power for these big pharmaceutical companies that power is translated into influence over policy and that translates through legislation and let's say administrative force to then be redirected back into concentrated wealth and I have an example so back in the day let's say when uh, cigarettes were being popular and there was money mm -hmm. to be made in cigarettes and also in the example of asbestos in the walls and so on and so forth right the CDC at that time they were saying that cigarettes don't cause cancer and asbestos doesn't call emphysema yeah. and like other forms of lung disease. And today they say the opposite. But they said one thing during that time because profits could be made and it was necessary at that time. And right, that's wow. where it ties into the political corruption. It's sort of it's sort of a situation where, it, where it's easier to ask for forgiveness. You, yeah. know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. You know, Ali, that, that was a great point. And, you know, I think this is a perfect time to close out. Uh, thank you guys for making to end and listening to everything we said. Drop a comment below, smash that like button, and tell us what you think. As always, my name's Corey Bearclaw. I'm joined with Jordan Brown and Ali Laik. I'll see you guys next week. We got something special for you.